the time of anticipation. Uh, we anticipate the parties will be attending, uh, the presents we will give and receive, uh, the time we'll spend with our families, uh, possibly a trip that we'll take, uh, seeing loved ones that we often don't see, uh, the possible, um, uh, possible, uh, it's, possibilities are endless of what things we anticipate this time of season. As Christians, we anticipate the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And there is no greater event in our future than this. The Bible calls this anticipation our hope. Uh, Peter writes to remind believers that all through, uh, all through, all of them, uh, I have no idea what I wrote here, uh, all may seem hopeless. I told you, I had a rough week. My brain is just not working. I'm writing things that make no sense at all. Uh, but all, uh, the, remind the believers that what they're going through may seem hopeless. Uh, even the fact it seems that God uh, has uh, moved so slowly that he may not, doesn't even seem like he's going to fulfill his promises. And Peter encourages them to trust in God. Uh, Tim Keller, in his book Hidden Christmas, states, uh, You cannot judge God by your calendar. God may appear to be slow, but he never forgets his promises. He may seem to be working very slowly or even to be forgetting his promises. But when his promises come true, and they will come true, they always burst the banks of what you imagined. God's grace virtually never operates on our time frame, on a schedule we consider reasonable. One theologian defines hope this way. Hope, in a Christian sense, is love stretching itself into the future. Uh, boy, what a beautiful way to see it, amen? The hope of this season is the hope of the future coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the whole purpose that he came. Uh, the hope that we contain, or the hope that we hold to in the Christmas season is not just not the hope of a baby coming, because that has already happened, uh, but the hope of what is to come. Romans 8, 24 and 25 tells us, uh, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for it? He says, if you already have it, why are you hoping for it? You already have it. Verse 25 says, but if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. And this is the spirit of our hope right there. But the truth is, the Bible uses the word hope very differently than we usually do. A hope in the biblical sense is expected anticipation. Uh, the Christian... Uh, Christians that Peter is writing to are not only going through persecution from the without the church, which he talked about in his first letter in First Peter, but are now facing divisions of and false teachers in the church. Uh, pressure from outside the church is hard enough, but deep divides within the church are more are more often uh, much more painful. It was true in the first century as it is now. Uh, wherever the pressure or hurt is coming from, we must never lose our hope. Anticipating the coming of our Lord ought to point us to a life of holiness as we look forward to being with Christ. And this should motivate us not only to live uh, holy, but to serve others as well and point them to that blessed hope. Here in these verses, I see three aspects of our hope that we need to look at more closely. I talked about this. The, the title of this series is The Truth of Our Hope, as we've been focusing on truth this year. Um, and uh, we talk, call this the ho Our Hope Motivates Us. Our Hope Motivates Us. First of all, 
It is a Roman number one. It is a hope not based upon time. It is a hope not based upon time. Verse number eight tells us, But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord which, uh, will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also, and the works that are therein shall be burned up. We, like those believers from the first century, sometimes wonder just how long we're going to have to wait for this blessed hope to be realized. Humanly speaking, it is hard to keep hope alive when it has been so long without fulfillment. But we need to remember what God said. Isaiah 55, 8, we talked about this in Sunday school as well, but Isaiah 55, 8 tells us, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. Let's realize, first of all, letter A, God's not limited by time. God is not limited by time. Can you read that, that thing underneath there? I think I'm, okay. I, I, I wondered whenever I did it, but I didn't check it whenever I, I usually, if I wonder things like that, I come in here and put it on the screen and see if I can read it. Uh, but uh, nevertheless, God's not limited to time. Verse number eight, it tells us, and beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that the one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. Peter's not being rude in calling them ignorant, by the way. Uh, the word just means hidden, not revealed. He says, I don't want it to be hidden from you. I don't want this fact to be hidden from your understanding. And God is not limited by time. God created time when he created the sun and the earth and everything else. Uh, the science of physics itself tells us that time is a property resulting from the existence of matter. God does not... Uh, God is not matter. I almost said God does not matter. <laughs> Whew, man, that was scary. Uh, praise the Lord, my brain worked enough to stop that. But God is not matter. He created matter. God is not limited by the physical laws of dimension that govern our world. He does not count time like we do. We cannot possibly comprehend the idea of eternity we can only fathom that which we are exposed to. But God has always been and always will be. He will be uh, his will was determined before time began. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 tells us, Who hath saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. The word translated world here is chronos. It means time. Uh, the world as we know it, the realm of time, is what he's talking about. And so time means nothing to his works and his decisions other than how he chose us to impose his will on our time. So God is not limited by time. Secondly, God has chosen a time. God has chosen a time. Verse number 9 tells us, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God is waiting until all that will come to repentance does so. I'm so grateful that God has not decided to come back in the 1800s. Amen? I may have been born 
to lost people during the millennium, if that were true. But God is long-suffering. He's waiting until he knows the last one that will accept him does just that. So God is waiting, which, re which really he's not waiting since he's outside of time. Am I breaking your brain yet? He's just chosen the time that he knows is appropriate. And no one knows what time that is, not even the sun. We see God is not limited by time. We see that he has, however, chosen a time. And, that he's, and then we see in verse number 10 that God's time is unexpected. God's time is unexpected. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. It's important for correct hermeneutics to realize that what is being discussed here is the day of the Lord. Now, that is not the rapture. Uh, this is the second coming of Christ. However, since the rapture is, I believe, as Scripture teaches, seven years before the second coming of Christ, and since the time of the second coming is unexpected, unknown, that would mean the time of the rapture is unknown as well. Does that make sense? Am I losing anybody yet? Okay. Uh, if this time is unknown, then the seven years before that has to be unknown too. Okay? That's simple enough. Uh, I said my brain wasn't working this week, and perhaps maybe it was because of this sermon. But I, I do not believe it is poor theology to look at these verses in application to our, the, the, the next major event on God's timeline that affects us. The time when God gathers his church together with him in the air. The truth is we don't know the day nor the hour when we'll be caught up together with Christ. I do believe it's going to be soon. Question is, are you ready? You do not know that you have tomorrow. Whether by death or by rapture, tomorrow is not promised. If you're ready, we live in this blessed hope. That is not based on time. But, number two, it is a hope-compelling holiness. A hope-compelling holiness. Verse 11 tells us, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Let me ask you, what is your focus this Christmas season? Presents and gifts? Decorations and Christmas spirit and parties and gatherings. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. We will in doubt, uh, we will no doubt uh, all participate in each of these things this season. But what is your focus, the focus of your heart? The blessed hope that we have in Christ ought to help us see and realize that all these things around us will be dissolved in the day of the Lord. None of this is eternal. Seeing that this is true, we ought to be compelled to that which is eternal, holiness. First, it's a holiness in character. The first area that the hope should compel us is a holiness of character. Verse 11 
uh, a little bit later in the verse, it says, what manner of persons ought ye to be? Peter tells them that the manner of person you ought to be ought to be affected by this hope. This speaks to our character. Character is who you truly are. Character is who you are when no one else is looking. Having this hope ought to cause us to realize all of this doesn't matter as much as who I am as a representative of Christ. A representative to my family. A representative to my neighbors. A representative to my community. Who you are matters. But not only ought we to have holiness and character, but the Bible continues to tell us that it's a holiness and behavior. Again, verse 11, verse, verse 11, part C, I guess you could call it. What manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation? This Greek word which is translated conversation goes further than what we say. It includes what we say most definitely. But the, deal, the word goes much farther than that. It speaks to our entire behavior. Is your behavior holy? I know I fail far too often. But remember that the Bible tells us in Proverbs 24, 16, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. What makes a just man just is not the fact that he never falls, because we know that's never true right? Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. What makes a just man just is the fact that he gets back up. He repents. He seeks forgiveness. And he goes forward. I'm going to fail. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. I won't try to. I'll try not to. Maybe I'll have a good week and it'll be a few days away before I say something stupid. <laughs> but our focus ought to be a, a holiness in our behavior. And driven by the hope that we have that Christ is coming back soon. And then thirdly, it is a holiness in piety. A holiness in piety. The verse says, holy conversation and godliness. You might say, isn't piety the same as holiness? And we often use it almost as synonyms. But the true meaning of piety is dutifully holy. The focus is on the duty of holiness. What are we talking about here? Is this hope that we have in Christ ought to spur us to holiness. It ought to stir in us a duty to live holy. Set apart for Christ. We should live right out of gratitude for what God has given us. But the truth is, we have a duty as servants of Christ to live the way our master calls us to live. This hope is not based upon our time. This hope compels us to holiness. And thirdly, this morning, I want us to see it is a hope based upon promise. It is a hope based upon promise. Verse 13, beginning of verse 13. It says, Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such times, or such things, excuse me, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. 
Verse 15, it says, And account for that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given him unto him, hath written unto you. Skip down to verse 17 now. It says, He therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error, with the error of the wicked, fall from, uh, from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This promise is made by a God who is not slack concerning his promises. Amen. This hope is based upon the promise of a God who can never make a mistake and who can never lie. You know, sometimes my children will, uh, uh, will, will feel like I broke a promise. And sometimes I, I feel like I, I didn't really make a promise. I didn't say, I promise you I'll do this. I'll say, I hope, in my heart, I'm thinking, I hope we thought. But the fact is, I communicated to them a promise. And if I break a promise, I have to make sure that I deal with that. Otherwise, it can very often lead to bitterness in your children's lives. And there's times whenever I have to go back and apologize for a broken promise that I made, whether it was intentional or not. They're important. Amen? But God never breaks his promise. He is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness. What he says, he will do. He cannot lie. He cannot make an error. So this promise will be kept. And thereby, as we hope in that promise, we are kept, first of all, letter A, kept in anticipation. The Bible says in verse 13, Nevertheless, we, according to this promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. We do not just go on about our lives as if this promise means nothing. No, any real child of God will live in anticipation, looking for the new heaven and the new earth, a place where righteousness dwells. Won't it be wonderful to be holy, even as Christ is holy? We do our best to live holy lives here and now, but I am looking forward to the day when we won't have to struggle with holiness. Don't lose the feeling of anticipation for that day. Secondly, not only are we kept in anticipation, we are kept in peace. Verse 14 says, Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless. Our hope in that promise spurs us to live in peace. And this peace is not a just a piece inside, but it speaks specifically of harmony, living in harmony. If your focus is right, if you're looking for the right thing, you're, you will live in harmony with your family, with your church members, with your neighbors, with your leaders, with your community, with all of it. Romans 12.8 says, If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. If it is possible, God understands sometimes we can't control it, can we? Other people are going to live in war whether we try to live in peace or not. If it be possible, as much lieth in you. Every part of you, you try to live peaceably with all men. On your side, live peaceably with all men. This hope will keep us in peace. 
letter C, it'll also help us to be kept in truth. Verse 17 tells us, Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. The previous verse warned about being influenced by those who twist the scripture, who rest the scripture, the King James says. Now Peter says, Therefore beware lest ye be led away into error. Be very careful who influences you. In the desire to learn more about the Bible, many will listen to preachers online or on television. And this would include preachers who do not line up with the doctrine of the church that God has led you to join. God does not do this accidentally. Amen? If we are Christians and we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, He puts us in a church by leading our desires and giving us the desire and the power to do His will, therefore leading us to the church He wants us to be in. I do not believe that if God led you here, His desire is for you to fill your mind with doctrine that is contrary to the Word of God first, but also according to the church that He has led you to. The devil deceives with partial truth. He always has from the very beginning. Stay away from prosperity gospel preachers, amen, and all the others who do not speak the truth. Stick to the preachers who are of like faith and doctrine as the church that God has sent you. If you would like a list of people that I would recommend, I'd be happy to provide those for you. But be careful. I've seen far too many Christians get led away with the error of the wicked, as this verse says. He's not talking here in this verse about just falling into sin. No, not uh, This verse is connected to the previous verse about those who twist the Scripture. He's talking about people who are using Scripture to teach, but they're twisting it to mean what they think it should mean. Be careful who you allow to influence you. There are even some who call themselves Baptists who have begun to go into error. Pastor, should I only listen to Baptist pastors? I don't think it would be a bad thing. I don't think it would be bad. And there are many men of God from the past, especially who, who spoke the truth of God's word, but were not Baptist. But at least the Baptist name gets you closer to knowing what you're listening to. Amen? There's a big push to remove labels from churches. It has been for many years now. If I went down to Neiman's Family Market and I went down the canned food aisle and I grabbed a bunch of cans of canned meat, canned vegetables, canned fruit, and I removed all the labels and then I asked you and set them before you and I asked you to grab a few cans and make something specific that I want you to make, it would be very difficult to do. Why? Because labels are important. Amen. I know there are some who like to buy labelless cans and have fun opening it and trying to use them, but I would just as soon know what I'm buying and the kind, what the result I'm going to get and what I'm eating. But this, this hope will urge you to stay in the truth. Stick to the doctrine where the church that God has led you. Then lastly, this hope that is based upon this promise will allow us to be kept in growth. Verse 18 tells us, but grow in grace. Don't be pulled away by those that rest scripture, but grow in grace. 
and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be both glory now and forever. Amen. He says, allow the truth to not only keep you from error, but allow the truth to grow you in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. When we live our lives in the hope of his coming, and allow that to affect our thoughts and mind every single day and every moment of the day, we will be kept in growth. We will seek to be more like him that made that promise. We will seek to know more about him. As we begin this journey in our study on the truth of our hope, I hope that a hope that began quiet night so long ago in that stable. Our hope is found in that little babe. May the hope that he brought motivate us to stay faithful while we await his second coming. May it motivate us to live holy, holy in character, holy in behavior, holy in piety. May it motivate us to be kept in a spirit of anticipation of his coming, kept in peace and harmony with one another, kept in truth, kept in a life that is growing. Why don't we commit today to live in that hope? Focus on that which God wants us to focus on. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would bless this special, this uh, simple sermon. I pray, Lord, that you would help it to speak to our hearts and encourage us to get our focus on what matters. That which is eternally sure. That which was determined before time ever began. Help us, Lord, to live in anticipation that you are coming. And may that affect our lives, our character, our behavior, our very lives. Pray they encourage us now with an invitation song. Help us to make a decision for you. In Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Let's open to page 389. We'll sing one verse of it. Let's open our, our Bibles. <laughs> open our song books. Uh, what page number is it again? What's it? 587. I always get it wrong, so I'm glad I ask. Let's sing that first verse. Let's all stand together as we as we sing, or is that going to make it hard to gather? Okay. 587. Let's stand together. You've been sitting for a long time. All right. All together on that first. I heard an all. <coughs> Savior came from... Goodness. Calvary. To save a wretch like me, I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus! my savior forever he sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood praise god he loved me ere i knew him and all my love is due him 
He plunged me to victory beneath a cleansing flood. Amen. Thank you so much for being here today. Before you go, I want to uh, uh, remind everybody about the Christmas store. Um, it's going to be next week. And so this week is the last week we have for donations for that. And there are some specific areas that we need. Um, we need uh, some more things for teen boys. Uh, we need some more things for toddlers. Um, toys, we got plenty of stuffed animals and books, uh, but we could use some toys uh, for toddler age. And then we uh, could use some men's items. Uh, men are notoriously hard to shop for, aren't they? Uh, so you know what we like, though? Bags of candy, you know. <laughs> So that's always a good thing. Amen. And so uh, if you could help us with that, that would be a huge blessing. Thank you so much for, uh, for what you've already provided. It has been a, a huge blessing to my heart to see all of that you have done on top of uh, providing for the toys uh, for the share shop, on top of the food that you've provided, on top of many gift towards the Christmas offering. Um, I don't do a lot of emphasis on the Christmas offering um, because I want to do a I love my church offering. Um, but uh, many are accustomed to doing that already, so we do put the box back there. Uh, but uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for your faithfulness, and I'm, I'm grateful that you're here uh, each and every week and that you give me a chance to be your pastor and to give me a chance to be able to bring God's Word to you. Uh, give me just a moment uh, to get back to the back to be able to shake your hand, and I hope that you have a wonderful and blessed afternoon.